Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12 this morning. And uh, I, I've got to admit, I've got to make confession to you. You might look up here, you might see something's out of place. And, and it is my, my wife, she's under the weather, she's at home today. And, um, I, and she forgot to put a tie on me before I left the house. Can you believe that? And uh, so I got all the way here, I didn't have one. And so you're just going to have to be patient with me being a little bit of a heretic today, amen, and not having my tie on. And uh, But I thought it was interesting, the moment fellas started to notice, everybody was jumping to give me their necktie. I don't know why that is, amen. They're, here, you take this, preacher, you wear it, I, I'll be all right, amen. And uh, so I appreciate people's graciousness. Let me also say thank you to all those that had a part yesterday in the chili cook-off, went wonderfully, and uh, I'm, I just, it blesses my heart as pastor. Uh, to see a church come together and, and be involved and encourage one another. I trust that not only did we enjoy some good spiritual or some good physical food and, and had some good fellowship, but I trust the Word of God as it went forth did its work. And so I just appreciate you all. I appreciate the Lord. I got so much to be thankful for. Amen. Genesis chapter 12 this morning. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. Uh, we're going to preach about the life of Abraham today. Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim or Shechem, unto the plain of Moreh. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. We'll stop there and pray. Father, I'm so thankful for the house of God. Lord, I'm thankful for the people of God that we can come to this place, Lord, encourage one another as iron sharpeneth iron and gain encouragement for the journey that You've set us upon and for the work that You've set our hand to. But Lord, I'm most thankful for You and Your presence today, Lord. I'm thankful that You saved me as a ten-year-old boy. Lord, I'm thankful that I am kept by the power of God under the day of salvation. Lord, I'm thankful that I get to enjoy your presence daily, and your fellowship, that your providence with a high hand, you have blessed my life. Lord, I'm just so thankful for you this morning. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being such a precious God to me. Lord, I don't know the heart's condition of any person in this room. And I'll freely admit that. But Lord, I know that you know every heart in this room. And so if there is one under the sound of my voice that is lost and undone, and it wouldn't be a surprise in a group this size, If that was the case, I pray you'd show them their lost condition. But Lord, don't just stop there. Show them Calvary. Show them Christ. Show them that there's been a payment that's been made. Lord, I pray that before this day is done, before this service is out, that they would have come to Christ by faith 
and been saved. Now, Lord, I also pray for the people of God here that you'd arrest our attention. Lord, that you would would gain uh, victory and gain ground in our hearts this morning. And help us, Lord, to just be obedient to the Word of God as it's preached and to the leadership of the Holy Spirit as He governs this service. Lord, I love you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. As I said a moment ago, I want us to take a few moments and look at the life of Abraham, the patriarch, this morning. We would call Abraham the father of the Jewish nation. But whenever God finds Abraham, he's not a Jew. In fact, when he finds Abraham, he is a Gentile pagan. He is a man who uh, does not know God, who does not know anything of the Lord. And it is through God's working in his life that he is brought into an understanding of who the Lord is. Chapter number 15, he puts his faith in the Lord and God's promise and righteousness is imputed unto him. God begins with Abraham. I said a moment ago, he's a Gentile. Maybe that wasn't the right way to say it. Maybe I should have said uh, he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't nothing. Amen. He was just a pagan living in spiritual darkness. But from Abraham would come the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. But this morning, I want us to look at a theme in Abraham's life. We noticed it twice in our text. And I want to point it out to you once again about something that Abraham did almost every place that he went. And I want us to think about what it means for our life. Verse number 7, the Bible says, The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And the Bible says this, There builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Verse 8 says that he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And here it is again. There he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Twice in our text, you'll find that Abraham builds an altar in his life. And in fact, as you study the life of Abraham, you'll find that Abraham built four altars that we know of. He may have built many more, but four altars that we know of in his life where he could worship and meet with the God of heaven. He built an altar in Shechem, here in verse number 7. He built an altar between Bethel and Hai, in verse number 8. In chapter 13, we find he builds a third altar in a place called Hebron. And then the final altar that we're told about is down in Genesis, chapter 22. It is the altar that he would place his son Isaac on, on Mount Moriah. Now, surely, over and over again, God points out Abraham's building of an altar. Surely, God is drawing our attention for a very distinct purpose. And so I began to think about what the altar means and what the altar is. Now, let me say that here in this day of grace, I think the altar could probably reflect three different things. When I think about an altar, I'll tell you the first thing I think of. I think about the area often associated in a house of God where when God, moves on our heart, when God does heavenly business with us, we go and kneel down and do business with the Lord. 
Now let me say that there is nothing sacred, particularly intrinsic, about this place. You could build steps. Most of you probably have them in your house. You could have an altar. I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor, another church, we uh, started a little teen ministry and we did it in a Sunday school classroom in the backside of the church. And one of the things God pressed on my heart to do was to, to build an altar. I'm not a carpenter, amen. But I built an altar. I, I went and I got the lumber and I put it together and I got it. It didn't look good. It wasn't a straight altar, amen, but but I put it together, then the wood warped and it bowed up on both ends, amen. And so uh, if you prayed on either end, you was praying on a little higher ground than the people in the center. People in the center sagged a little bit, amen. And so there's nothing intrinsically sacred or hallowed about that space, but it is a place we have dedicated for people when God stirs their heart to come and publicly make a move towards the Lord. I think about the altar that's in a church. But then there's a second type of altar that I think of. And it may be associated with a physical place in your life, or it may not. It really does not matter. But I would call that the personal altar of devotion. I hope everybody in this room has a time set aside in your day where you get alone with God, where you read your Bible, where you pray, where you commune with the Lord and spend time with Him. We oftentimes call this our altar or our devotional time. It might be in one specific consistent place, or it might not. It might be driving down the road. It might be sitting in a recliner. It might be laying in bed. But you have a time set aside where you're talking to the Lord, reading the Word of God so He can talk to you and spending time with the Lord. But then there's a third way in which I think of an altar. And it's maybe more of a principle or a concept in our life. But I think it is tangible in its meaning nonetheless. And that is the act or the principle of sacrifice. Now, the altar was intrinsically a place of sacrifice. The altar was a piece of of furniture, we could maybe say, or a structure. And the express purpose was to give a sacrifice upon it. You can't divide the concept of a sacrifice away from the concept of an altar. And I would say this, I'm going to call it the altar of your heart, that it ought to be in your life that you are willing to yield your life to the Lord and give anything to the Lord that He asks of you. And so I would say there's the altar of the house. I would say there's the altar in our home. But then I would say there's the altar in our heart. Now you say, well, preacher, which do you want to preach on this morning? And I say, yes. Amen. The reality is some of what we'll talk about will apply to some, any and all of the things we've referenced. But I want you to be thinking this morning about what an altar is and means and about what God is doing in your life. When we talk about an altar, you might ask the question, well, preacher, what is the function of an altar? And I think there's four things associated with it. Let me mention them before we preach. Number one, I would say that an altar is a place of confession. Did you know in the Old Testament, whenever they would bring their sacrifices to the Lord, they would bring them to the priest, and the priest would would, uh, stand and observe over the proceedings, and the person that was giving the sacrifice would have two parts in what they were doing. The first thing they would do is they would stand over that animal, they would place their hand upon its head, and they would confess their sins. Now, sometimes in the Bible, you'll find the priests doing this. And that's because there were sacrifices that were given for the nation of Israel itself. But when a personal individual brought their sacrifice to the Lord, they were commanded to pronounce their sins over 
excuse me, its head. They were confessing what they had done wrong. They were confessing how they had sinned. The second thing that's in my message that they were required to do is take the knife themselves and slay that. And then the priest would take and butcher and process and present the sacrifice. But the first thing I think of with an altar is it is a place of confession. Now, I don't mean confession to men. In the Word of God, we're never commanded to confess our sins one to another. We are commanded to confess our faults one to another, our weaknesses, and have some personal accountability. But nowhere are we commanded to go to a human being and confess our wrongdoings, our sins. You know why that is? Because we have an high priest which is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. We have a priest we can go and confess to. But in your life, the altar is a place where you come to the Lord and you admit what you've done wrong. There's a second thing that the altar was for. It was a place of cleansing. In giving that sacrifice, they were seeking for their sins to be expiated, their sins to be to be cleansed from their life. And I'll tell you this, the altar is a place where when you've sinned, when you've done wrong, you come to the Lord, you confess what you've done wrong, and you seek the Lord to forgive you of those sins. Now somebody will say, well, preacher, I'm already saved, I've been forgiven. And that's true. You're a child of God. In a judicial sense, your sins will never be brought. But not only are you a child of God, hey, you have a relationship. You are a servant of God. And there are times when we displease the Lord and our fellowship with Him can be interrupted by the sin that we have in our lives. And when that time comes, we should come to the altar. It might be the altar of the house of God. It might be the altar in your home. It will certainly be the altar of your heart. And you will go to the Lord and confess those sins and ask Him to forgive you of them. I would also say, number three, that an altar is a place of consecration. It was a place where a man stood and he was saying, my life is not my own. My life belongs to the Lord. I can't do what I please. I can't live how I want because I'm bought with a price. I belong to another. And so because I have a responsibility to the God that created me and redeemed me, when I have wronged Him, I will come and I will make it right and I will seek His forgiveness and seek His restoration. And it was a place where a person was consecrated, not just cleansed, but set apart unto the Lord. I'll say this in your life, if you're going to sell out to the Lord and if you're going to be used of God, you're going to have to spend time at an altar. You're going to have to come to the Lord and, and talk about it. There's a lot of things we want God to fix with us uh, without us ever having to talk to Him about it. But i got news for you. If you want to get serious with the Lord, you're going to have to make confession to Him. You're going to have to seek His cleansing. And you're going to have to let Him consecrate your life. Set you apart, not unto yourself or unto the world, but unto Him. I would say it's not only a place of confession and cleansing and consecration, but I would say it's a place of communion. It was a place of worship. The petitioner would come and they would seek the Lord, and and in doing that, they were seeking fellowship with Him, communion with Him. And I'll tell you this, you'll never have the relationship with God that God desires for you to have unless you spend time at the altar. I want to preach to you on this thought this morning. Living your life at the altar. Abraham was a man. Whatever failings he had, and he did have failings. Whatever mistakes he made, and he did make mistakes. He was a man of faith who lived his life at the altar of God. I want to show you these four altars, and we'll look at them in five sections this morning. And I want to talk to you about the altars that you have 
in your life. Now, in our text, we've read about the first altar. The Bible says in verse 6, Abram passed through the land under the place of Sikkim or Shechem, under the plain of Moreh. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed, this is what God told him, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Now, before I mention the altar we're looking at here, can I set a little background? I've already mentioned that Abram was a man. He was a pagan. He was living in the land of, of Haran. He was from Ur of the Chaldees, but he was living with his family in Haran. He was a man who did not know God. He was a man who had no concept of the true God. And the voice of God comes piercing through that pagan darkness and speaks to his heart and says, Abram, I am the true God. I have a plan for your life. Step out in faith. Leave your family behind and follow me. Seems apparent that Abram, at least for a season of his life, delayed that obedience. But when we come to chapter number 12, we find the Lord had spoken unto him and he finally makes the choice to step out from where he's been and to follow the Lord and to seek this God that has spoken to him. When he arrives in the land of Canaan, God says, here we are, Abram. This is the land I'm going to give you. In other words, Abram, you left a land behind, but the land that you're in is the land I'm going to give you. And Abram stops and in gratitude builds an altar to the Lord. Here's the altar that I see in this verse. I see the altar of forsaking. So what do you mean, preacher? He left everything behind to go out in faith towards what God had for him. I say in your life, I hope you have an altar of forsaking. I hope that you've made the decision that what God has for you is far better than anything that you could provide for yourself. I hope you've made your mind up that what the world offers pales and dims in comparison to what God offers His people. What was he forsaking when he came to this altar? Well, I would say, number one, he was forsaking the place of his protection. It's interesting what verse 6 says. It says he passed through the land under the place of Sikkim, under the plain of Moray. And then there's this little phrase, one short sentence that's given as an addendum to this verse. And the Canaanite was then in the land. Now, that may not mean much to you. That may not mean much to me. But if you were Abraham, it would have mattered that the Canaanite was in the land. A lot of times me and my family, we'll go and, and we'll travel and we like to go on road trips and travel and different things. Sometimes when you do that, you wind up in places you ain't never been before. And I learned real quick after the first road trip, a good life hack. That's what the young kids call that, right? A good life, right? The, who said, yeah, yeah, Mike. Mike's a young kid. Oh, Doug said that. But uh, here is a good life hack. If you're ever going to stay in a new city, go ahead and just look up them crime maps, all right? Go ahead and take two seconds and look up them crime maps and find the areas that are really, really like deep blue and don't go there. All right. You want to go to the places that 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 are that are like light gray. That's where you want to be going, because I learned that sometimes when you're in a new place, you can find yourself in a wrong place in a hurry. Here's Abram. He's come to a new place. He does not know anyone there. He does not know anything there. But beyond that, the Bible tells us this, that the Canaanites, who were a militant people, who were a vicious people, who were a formidable people, were living in the land. 
In other words, he has left Haran where he has a family, where he has his support system, where he has uh, people to protect him, where he has comfort, where he has familiarity. He has forsaken the place of his protection to go out and to seek the will of God. Let me say in your life, if God's going to use you, you're going to have to learn how to forsake the place of comfort and protection in your life. If your life is solely focused on you and yours and trying through your own intuition and ability to situate yourself as easy as possible, you're going to miss what God is doing in your life. God has always brought His people out of their comfort zone to do great things in their life. Curtis Hudson, you say nothing has ever been done for God with spare change and spare time. And I would add to it this, nothing has ever been done for God inside a person's comfort zone. You've got to leave and forsake that place of protection. Now you say, well, preacher, does that mean I need to go to the mission field? Not unless God's called you. Preacher, does that mean I need to sell my home and move into a rough area of town? Not unless you want to sell it to me at a discount. But here's what it does mean. You have to settle in your heart that you're willing to step outside of your comfort zone to serve God if that's what it takes for God to be glorified. He was forsaking the place of his protection. But then I like verse 7. The Bible says this, the Lord appeared unto Abram. And said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. I wonder why he built that second altar. I mean, he's not no doubt journeyed very far. If you look on a map, it's not very far from, from Shechem to, to uh, you know, where he traveled to when he, when he moved a little bit further. So I, I wonder, why did he build this altar in this place? Here's why he built this altar in this place. This is where his kids were going to be. This is where his descendants were going to be. This is where his family was going to be. And when the Lord said to him, Abram, Haran is behind you. It's this land that I'm going to give your seed. Instead of Abram saying, but I had a better life in Haran. But I had better prospects in Haran. But I had a better plan in Haran. He said, if this is where God wants me, then this is where I want to be. He's forsaking not just the place of his protection, but he's forsaking his personal ambitions. And he's saying, if this is the will of God, I will invest in it a hundred percent. No telling how many of God's plans die on altars of 80 percent. No telling how many of God's dreams and visions die on altars of 80 percent. Lord, I'll go most of the way. Lord, I'll do most of what you want. But I've still got a little corner of my life that's all about me that I'm going to guard viciously. See, if you're going to be used of God, you're going to have to forsake not just your comfort zone, but you're going to have to give up on this thing of life being for your glory and recognize it's for His glory. Now, understand that what's for His glory is for your good. But your life is not about your glory. Your life is not about your personal advancement. Your life is not about your personal ambition. Hey, listen, I want you to get as good a job and make as good a money and buy as big a house and drive as nice a car and wear as great a clothes as God will let you have. I don't begrudge you that one iota, but understand that serving God is not serving self. And if you're going to do something for God, you're going to have to get it through your head and through your heart that life is not about you trying to climb this thing as quick and as high as you can, but rather about following the will of God. God, irrespective of where it may take you. I see the altar of forsaking here in chapter 12. But then he moves on and he builds a second altar. The Bible says in verse number 8, He removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Now, Abram does something different here in verse 8 than he did in verse number 7. In verse 7, we're told that he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. 
We're not told what he does with this altar. We're not told the fashion in which he uses this altar. I think it's a safe assumption that he probably sacrificed there. Maybe he prayed there. I don't know. But verse number 8 goes out of its way to tell us that he builds this second altar. And when he arrives there, he calls upon the name of the Lord. I would say this, there's an altar of forsaking in verse 7, but in verse number 8, we find an altar of fellowship. He was distinctly spending time with the Lord at this second altar. It's interesting when you read these places, you know, everything in your Bible is there on purpose and perfectly placed. And the Bible says that he goes and he, he's situated between Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. Do you know what those names mean? Bethel is a very familiar place in the Bible. At this time, it would have been called by the name of Luz. It wasn't until later that the name was changed. But the, the recorder, uh, we presume Moses, of the Holy Spirit's words here in this text goes out of its way to call it by its newer name, Bethel. And you know what Bethel means? It means house of God. Hai is an interesting place. We know it as Ai of uh, fame during Joshua's days where the children of Israel were smitten because of the sin that was in the camp. But do you know what Hai means? It means a heap of ruins. So here's Abraham, and he's standing at a crossroads. Here's Abraham standing on a mountain. And on one side is the house of God, and on the other side is a heap of ruins. And right in the middle of it, he says, I need to build an altar so that I make the right choices in my life. I'll tell you this, the success of your life, not just much, but entirely depends on your willingness to spend time with God. What could we say about this altar? I'd say, number one, it's a deeper altar. The Bible tells us this in verse number eight. He removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel. Now, you don't have a map in front of you, but what you would see if you did is that he's coming from Haran, which is to the north. And he has passed through Shechem, which is to the northwest. And he travels southeast towards Bethel and towards Hai. You know what he's doing? He's getting deeper into the land. He's not turning back. He's not backing up. He's going deeper into the land. You know what the altar of fellowship does? It takes us deeper into the land. You know why we spend time with God in the altar of fellowship? Because we want to go deeper in our walk with God. I'll tell you this, there's a great many Christians that are content with superficial Christianity to dwell skimming on the surface like some water bug instead of diving deep into the things of God, into the will of God, and into the work of God. But i got news for you. Hey, listen, the psalmist talks about those that go down into the sea and pull treasures out of the deep. The greatest things God does in your life are the deep things He does. And you're going to have to spend time with Him if you're going to enjoy those deep things. In other words, why do people spend time with God on a daily basis? It's a deeper plunge into their relationship with the Lord. They're no more saved than any other person that's called upon Christ. Don't misunderstand me. But they have decided they're not satisfied just uh, meeting the Lord and then meeting Him again in heaven. They want to walk with Him day by day. They want to enjoy His fellowship and enjoy His presence. It was a deeper altar. But then the Bible tells me this. That when he removed, where did he go to? He removed from thence. Now remember, verse 7, verse number 6, excuse me, where is he? Verse number 6, Abram passed through the land under the place of Shechem, under the plain of Moreh. Verse number 8, he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel. I would say this, not only was it a deeper altar, it was a higher altar. He went from the plain to the lofty heights. And when people spend time with the Lord, one of the things it'll do is it'll make your walk with God grow deeper, but it will also make your walk with God grow higher. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, I would say this, this altar, this altar of fellowship, it's higher in its plane. 
In other words, it's one thing to be willing to come to the Lord and say, Lord, you're my everything. I love you. I'm giving my heart to you. I'm giving this sin to you. I'm giving my life to you. I'm giving this decision to you. And that's a wonderful thing. And you better learn how to do it in life. But it's a whole other thing to come and just pile up at His feet and say, Lord, I don't need a thing from you but you. I'm just here because I love you. I'm just here because I, I enjoy you. I'm just here because I want to hear from you. It's a higher plane. But not only is it a higher Higher in its plane, but it's higher in its purpose. Fellowship is the greatest. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Fellowship is the greatest plane upon which God's creation can exist. When God, when the creature is fellowshipping with the creator, there is no higher plane that you can possibly reach. There is no more transcendent moment in your Christianity than when you're simply spending time with God. I see a second altar here. It's the altar of fellowship. Turn over one chapter with me to chapter 13. Chapter 13 is interesting. The end of chapter 12 is interesting. I know how the story goes. You know how the story goes, right? Abraham, he builds an altar, so he never has any problems anymore in his life. And he always makes right choices and goes on to live happily ever after. Isn't that how it goes? No, that's not how it goes, is it? Chapter number 12, we find right after he built the altar of fellowship. And by the way, this is an instructive truth for your life and mine. Just because we start spending time with God, that don't mean the devil leaves us alone. And so Abram, right after building that altar in verse number 8, you know what happens? A famine comes into the place that God has placed him. Things get tough. Things get difficult. Now, Abram should have done something real real uh, obvious and real simple. He should have went to that altar that he had just built and prayed to his God and said, Lord, you put me here and I don't understand it, but I know you have a plan for it. Feed me and give me faith to withstand this famine. But he didn't do that. The Bible tells us instead he journeyed down in the land of Egypt. Now, Egypt, as far as a geographic place, is not necessarily a a bad place. I've never been there, but God loves Egyptians. Amen. He loves the people in Egypt. He died for them. And and there's Christians. We we have missionaries in Egypt. There's people that love the Lord and know the Lord and serve the Lord there. But uh, in the Bible, Egypt is sort of a picture. And it's a picture of the world's system and the world's sin. In, in, In the Bible, every time a person goes to Egypt, it don't matter where they're going from or where they're coming from, they always go down into Egypt. Egypt was the place of pagan darkness that God had to call His His people out from in the book of Exodus. And it's associated with the sin and darkness of this world. And so Abram, instead of trusting in his God, using his altar, he goes down into Egypt and asks Pharaoh to save him. When he gets there, he's afraid because evidently he had a a good-looking wife. She's, I don't know, like 60 years old. But hey, ladies, it's never too late, you know. I mean, mean, she's good-looking apparently. Because uh, whenever they get down into Egypt, Abraham, he's scared. He says that Sarah is so beautiful uh, that the Egyptians are going to kill him so that they can take her to be their wife. And so he goes to Sarah and he asks Sarah to lie for him. He says, I want you to tell them that you're not my wife, that you are my sister. Really, that was a half-truth. And by the way, God calls it a lie. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us half-truths are whole lies. So he tells this half-truth, this whole lie. And God speaks to Pharaoh, refrains from judging Pharaoh because Pharaoh did not know what had happened and Pharaoh had not yet lain with Sarah. 
and, and speaks to Pharaoh and says, this is another man's wife that you have, have, have picked out and are going to marry. And, and if you do, I will curse Egypt and I will, I will bring plagues upon Egypt. And Pharaoh, he's, he's aghast at this. He, he goes to, to Abram and he says, why did you lie to me? Why did you do this? And so they leave Egypt. Pharaoh had given him great riches. They leave Egypt and they come back in chapter 13. Now here's the reason I told you all that. This is one of the great mistakes of, of Abram's life. This is one of the great stains and shames on an otherwise fairly high testimony of a man of faith. And listen to what the Bible says in chapter 13. Look with me down at verse number 1. The Bible says, Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel under the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, under the place of the altar which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, this is not a new altar. In fact, I want you to very closely pay attention to the fact that it's not a new altar. This is the altar of fellowship from chapter number 12. This is the altar he built and he called upon the name of the Lord. But now he returns to this altar and the altar of fellowship has now become the altar of forgiveness. I'll tell you in your life, if you're going to have a a relationship with the Lord such as God would design it, you're going to have to have an altar of forgiveness. You're going to have to have the humility, the honesty, the sincerity to be willing when you've sinned, when you've done wrong, to come to the Lord and to ask God's forgiveness. And that's what Abram does. He comes back to the altar that he had left and he seeks restoration for what he had done. Notice two things here. Number one, he returned to the altar. He went to the place where he had went astray. He went to the place where he had gone wrong. You know what we sometimes do? We sometimes in our life, we will sin, we will do unrighteously. And then because of our pride, we don't want to admit that we've sinned. We don't want to tell the Lord that. And so we'll seek then to come back to the Lord without ever confessing to Him that what we had done was wrong in the first place. In other words, we want to come back, but we want to take a detour around that altar and that place of departure. But I'll tell you, if your relationship with the Lord is going to be what it needs to be, you can't run from the sins you've committed. You can't run from the mistakes that you've made. You say, preacher, what can I do about them? Some of them can't be undone. No, they may not be able to be undone, but they can show enough be covered over. You can come to the Lord. You may not be able to fix everything that's been done, but you can come to God and you can say, Lord, I did wrong. I sinned. Please forgive me and cleanse me of what I've done. He returned to the altar. But then notice number two, he was restored at the altar. I like that last phrase. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now here's why I like it. Because of what verse number 8 of chapter 12 says. Remember when he built the altar? When he built it, the Bible says, there built he an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Now here in chapter 13, he's been down in Egypt. He's lied. He's been a scoundrel. He's messed up. He's done everything wrong. He's made a mess of his life. But here in chapter 13, he's back at this altar. He's confessed it to the Lord. He's asked forgiveness. And you know what he's doing again? He's calling on the name of the Lord again. I see he was restored at the altar. I see that God didn't relegate him to a second-class relationship. God didn't say, I'll put you on probation. God said, if you'll come to me and ask forgiveness, I'll restore you right back to where you were. In this man's life, I find there's an altar of forsaking, an altar of fellowship, and an altar of forgiveness. But I want you to notice the next altar he builds. Look in chapter 13, down at verse 14. 
The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent. Now let's pause there. Why did he do that? Because God had just told him to. God said, I'm going to give you all this land. Abraham said, I believe I'll take a tour of it. And so he removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. It's interesting, this third altar he built. He builds it in a place called Hebron. Hebron would be an important place in the rest of your Bible. Hebron is in the plain of Mamre. And it's interesting when you look at those two words and what they mean. Did you know that the name Hebron, it means association, company. In other words, a group of people. And do you know that the plain of Mamre, the word Mamre, here's what it means. It means strength. So he builds an altar in a place that's all about having a company of people that have strength in their life. Now you say, well, preacher, that's interesting, but it doesn't show me anything. Oh, but if you look at your text, I think you'll see why God ordered it that way. Because this entire passage and this entire interaction with the Lord is all centered around Abraham's family. God says to him, all this land, Abraham, I'm going to give to you and to your seed. Now, let me point out a precious New Testament truth. You say, preacher, I sure wish as a Gentile I could have a part in some of them promises. I got good news for you. Because it's not unto seeds as of many, but unto seed as of one, the book of Galatians says. And that seed is Jesus Christ. But understand that Abraham, when he hears this, he's not thinking of those great transcendent spiritual truths. When God says, Abraham, I'm going to give all this land to you and your seed, he is thinking to himself, God's going to give all this to my family. And God says to him, Abraham, look up your eyes, lift up your eyes, look around at all that your family can have. And walk through the breadth of the land and examine and study and partake in all the great things that I want to give you and that I want to give your children. Here's what I'm going to call this. I'm going to call this altar he built the altar for his family. Because what Abraham is doing in this passage, he is not just doing for himself. He's an old man by this point in his life. He would live for many years. But a man doesn't at his age get up, walk 20, 30, 40 miles this way and that way and disrupt his life and do everything even that Abram did in leaving Haran for himself. He's not doing it for himself alone. He's instead doing it for his family. I'll tell you this, if you want your family to succeed, you better have an altar in it. Now, by that I do mean you ought to read the Bible with your children, with your spouse. You ought to study it. You ought to pray together. But what I mean beyond that is this. All three of the altars we've mentioned, yea, every altar in your life, if you have a family, it's not just for you that you're doing these things, but it's for your family as well. What did he do at this altar for his family? Well, notice two things in this verse. Number one, he lifted his eyes when he went to build this altar. God says, look around, Abraham, and take in all that I can give you if you will just follow me. Abraham, look around at all. Survey the extent, the breadth. Look on the horizon of my blessings. 
if you'll only follow me. Can I tell you one of the greatest things you'll do for your family is not be satisfied with the status quo. One of the greatest things you can do for your family is to lift up your eyes and recognize that what God has for them and what God wants for them is far greater than anything that you could ever provide. If all you ever give your children is what you can give them, you've left them in poverty. Unless you've given them what only God can give them, you've not given them real treasures. And Abram was wise enough and smart enough to look up and to follow God's instructions and survey all that God could do if He would just follow Him. And I'll tell you this, hey, listen, I have not seen, neither hath ear heard, neither hath it entered into the hearts of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love Him. You have no clue what God could do through your family. It's not even, hey, it ain't even registered. Your scale don't even go to that level of what God wants to do if you'll just sell out to Him. I see that he lifted his eyes. Number two, I see he led them to the altar. Verse number 17 says this, Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Well, Abraham did that. He removed his tent and he came. And when he got there, listen to what he did. He built an altar. It's interesting. I, I told you a moment ago, me and my family, we like to take road trips. One of the things we do not like about road trips, and our kids aren't terrible about it, but they, you know, all kids, I think, to a degree, are, are, are we there yet? Are we there yet? We're there yet? And then after you've fussed at them and threatened to beat them, they'll say, how much longer? They think that's going to help, you know? How much longer? And they want to know when we're going to get there. You know, I, I wonder if, if Abraham, and I understand at this moment Abraham had no children. I, I'm aware of that. But you imagine those in his company might have looked at Abraham and said, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How much farther we got? How much farther, Uncle Abraham? How, how, how far are we going to go? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I think Abram probably could have looked at him and said, when we get there, you'll know it because I'll build an altar. When we get there, you'll know it because I'll build an altar. He could have probably said to the ones in the back who were not at the front of the traveling company, he could have probably said to him, when you get to the altar, you know that we're home. You know, one of the greatest things you'll do for your family is not just to look and by faith envision what God can do for them, but is to by your personal example, lead them to the altar of God. Now, I don't just merely mean here in this place. I don't merely mean in personal devotions, but teaching your children and teaching your family that life without the Lord is not worth living, that life without the Lord is only heartache and destruction and failure, that if their life is going to be anything meaningful, they're going to have to seek the Lord and His strength and His help. I'll tell you something you learned if you lived in the home of Abraham. You learned the altar was a pretty important place. Because everywhere he went, he built one. Evidently, Abraham believed a man needed an altar. I wonder if your kids think that an altar is needed. I wonder when they look at your life what it tells them about how needful an altar is. I see the altar of family. Turn with me to chapter 22. I want to mention two things and I'll be done. There's a final altar in Abram's life. It's probably the most famous altar. In fact, you might have read over those other three altars and never even noticed that he built an altar. But I promise you that when you read Genesis 22, you notice that an altar was built. For this becomes the greatest moment in Abraham's life in which God will, through this, show things to Abram that Abram could have never known otherwise. Verse number 1 of Genesis 22, the Bible says, It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. 
and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. They came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. This is a fascinating altar in Abraham's life. But I think to really understand it, it serves us to read a couple verses out of the New Testament. You see, all my life I've read this verse, and I have on many occasions heard people equate this verse with the idea of sacrifice. That what this is about is that Abraham had to love God more than he loved Isaac and be willing to give Isaac up if that's what it took. But I don't think that's correct. In fact, I know it's not, because listen to what the book of Hebrews tells me in Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, it doesn't say by sacrifice Abraham did this. But Hebrews eleven seventeen says this, by faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. You see what the Hebrews writer is doing here. God said... I'm going to give you a, a seed, a promised seed. I'm going to, from Isaac, build a nation. He is my plan for your life. He is the evidence of my promise in your life. He is the evidence of my purpose in your life. Now, Abraham, I want you to take that boy and go up on Mount Moriah, and I want you to slay him. What would Abraham make of all that? What would he think about? Well, the Bible tells us that he did obey the Lord, and he took Isaac up there. But I don't believe he lied when he said to the servants, I am the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. I think Abraham believed with all of his heart that two men went up that mountain and that two men would come back down that mountain. Because the Bible says in Hebrews eleven nineteen that he was accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure. I want to call this altar the altar of faith. Because when Abraham offered Isaac, he was not saying, Lord, I love you more than I love Isaac. And if you want Isaac's blood, well, I'll satisfy you and give you Isaac's blood. Can I give you a little bit of truth here this morning? God wouldn't have been more satisfied with Isaac's blood than he would have been satisfied with your blood or my blood or the bloods of bulls and of goats, uh, which could not make the comers thereunto perfect, for then would they cease to have been offered. But hey, by a higher blood, by a purer blood, by a more precious blood, as of a lamb without but without blemish was he satisfied. You see, to believe that this was all about Abraham saying, I'm going to give Isaac as a sacrifice because I love you more than I love Isaac is to miss what this passage is about. It's not just tragic because you get the wrong of it. It's tragic because you miss the right of it. You see, this wasn't about sacrifice. This was about faith. God had said, everything's about Isaac, Abraham. Now I want you to take Isaac and I want you to slay him. 
And all of a sudden, there's a conflict in Abraham's mind. Who's he going to believe? He knows by his reason, by logic, by rationale, that if he kills that child, then all of God's plans fall apart. But it's not his job to work that out. It's God's business. And so he says, though I do not understand what God is doing, I will trust God that he does know what he's doing. And he, by faith, goes and offers Isaac upon that altar. What was he doing when he did this? I would say, number one, he was trusting God's promise. God had promised him that he was going to have a nation through Isaac. At this moment, Isaac is not married. Isaac has no children. There is no legalese. There is no loophole. There is no perspective that you can try to wrestle this into that would suggest anything other than an abject failure of God had Isaac died on that mountain. But here's what Abraham says. I don't understand it, but I don't have to understand it to trust him. I want you to listen carefully to this. You don't have to understand it to trust him. Just knowing him is enough. I'm not saying I don't wish you understood. I'm not saying I don't wish I understood when things happen in my life. It's only human. It's only natural. But it's spiritual to trust even when you don't understand. And Abraham, he does not understand how this is possible. He does not understand what it means. I don't even think he understood what God was trying to do. But he understood this one simple principle. God never lies. He keeps His promises. And that became the bedrock for his act of faith. You know, the whole Christian life and faith in the Christian life, it's not just a leap into the dark. It's a firm stand on God's promises. It's not just casting ourselves out into the abyss, but it's planting our feet firmly on God's Word and saying, I don't know what the rest of you are going to do. I don't know whatever else is going to happen. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because God never breaks His promises. Abraham, he was trusting in God's promise. But can I remind you of another truth? And I'll close with this. You know, we read our Bible and we sort of sometimes get to thinking that our Bible happened at the same time. And here's what I mean by that. We sort of forget that as you study through the Bible, you have a, a progressive timeline and that things happen sequentially and in a certain way. And I'll be honest with you. I don't really see it as a big problem for God to raise the dead. He's done it a lot, hasn't he? I mean, he, he proved his mastery over death when he himself raised from the dead. But then, ten separate occasions in your Bible, we find somebody is raised from the dead. Did you know that of those ten people, you know exactly how many come after this moment in human history? Exactly ten. You know exactly how many had been raised from the dead up to this moment? Exactly zero. What Abraham is trusting God to do has never been done or heard of before. There's never been anyone raised from the dead up to this moment in human history. I mean, you understand, me and you, we have a precedent for God's working. We've got a lot of history we can look back on. We can say, hey, God did it for them. He can do it for me. God delivered them. He can deliver me. But here's Abraham who against hope, believed in hope, had no reason other than the promise of God to think that this would be possible, said, I believe God's able. Even when I have no precedent. To believe so. He was trusting God's promise, but he was trusting God's power. And he in his faith was saying, I believe God can do things that I can't do, and I think God can do things that I can't understand. 
I think God can do things that I can't figure out because He's God. And in your life, if you're going to live a life that pleases the Lord, you better understand this principle. It does not require you signing off on God's plans for them to be good plans. It does not require you understanding what God is doing for Him to understand what He's doing. And in your life, you'll be far happier, far more peaceful, and far deeper in your walk with the Lord if you'll learn how to trust even when you don't understand. I wonder which of these altars has been neglected in your life of late. If there are any, i got good news for you. Nobody's tore them down. They're still there. And just like Abraham, when he strayed from an altar, he came back to that altar and got it right. So you too this morning can come back to that altar, whichever one's been neglected. And you can really come to the altar of your heart and say, Lord, I've done wrong in this. Please forgive me and help me to get it right. Let's bow together this morning as a musician comes to play. The altar is already open. The invitation is already started. You don't have to wait for a note to be played. You can just make a move toward the Lord. And in fact, I'd advise you to do that. Flesh will make you lose your nerve. Go ahead and just move towards God. Just go ahead and respond to the Lord this morning. The altar is open. And it is not this altar necessarily that is of supreme importance. But it's a great place if God's touched your heart to come and to deal with Him. God's spoken to your heart this morning. Won't you respond in obedience to him? Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.